it seems like creatives always get a bad rap. From childlike tantrums and ridiculous green room requests to strange superstitions and even self-mutilation, it's clear that artists have plenty of strange habits. But they've also made a pretty big impact on the world. Hi, I'm Kate Rooney. And I'm Jess Scuffy. And you're listening to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle, the leading flat rate graphic design and creative services platform. In this podcast, we'll be uncovering the fascinating myths and shocking stories behind the artists we love, or in some cases, love to hate, as we try to determine, are creatives the worst? Hello, and welcome to Creatives Are the Worst, a podcast presented by Design Pickle. My name is Kate Rooney, and as always, I'm joined with my lovely co-host, Jess Guffey. Hello, Kate. I feel like I always say that. Hello, Kate. Like, why does my voice get so deep? <laughs> You sound very uh, not happy to see me. (laughs) I see you all day, every day in meetings. This is just like bonus time. I think we're struggling to get this podcast off the ground right now because we took a week off unintentionally. So our producer is in Austin, Texas, and turns out that you can't really produce a podcast in the dark without any electricity. It's so weird how that works. You and I are rusty because, <laughs> yeah, we, we haven't recorded together. So please bear with us while we get back into our groove, into our groove thing. Did we ever have a groove? Hey, now. <laughs> Stella got her groove back. Let's get our groove back, Kate. I'm I'm working on it. It it is hard if you uh, have never had a groove. True. You know who who does have a groove? That would be Colton, our video production manager at Design Pickle. He just sent over the funniest photo of him in a hot tub, in a pickle suit, but with cucumbers on his eyes and with avocado just smeared on his face. I'm not entirely sure what this photo came from or what it's used for or what they were filming, but... He's got a groove. He never had to bring his groove back because he always had it to begin with. I would also like to point out that he said with the photo, this is only my eighth weirdest day at work, which (laughs) says something about Design Pickle. Don't know what. (laughs) Jess, do you know what your weirdest day at Design Pickle has been? I've had so many weird days at Design Pickle, um, particularly when we're filming content. It always seems to happen then. But... I have to say the one that caught me the most off guard was just how everyone was in Idaho on my very first trip with the company. Uh-huh. Um, it felt like a whole fever dream, and that without going into too much detail, <laughs> there were stuffed bears and bathrobes and the movie Popstar involved, and I was mm-hmm. like, this is the best company ever. I'm yeah. never leaving. <laughs> oh, that, was, uh, that wasn't the first time we met, but that was the first time we really uh, bonded, I'd say. In Idaho. Sure does. Sharing a hotel room will do that to people, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Known you for a week. Staying in the same hotel room. Let's do this. (laughs) Memories. Uh, Well, Jess, I am excited to hear what story you have today. So what do you have for us, Jess? (sighs) Well, you know how in the Quentin Tarantino episode, I started with the burger bit from Pulp Fiction? Yes, and I was very confused by it. I really wish I would have saved that for this episode. And I will just leave it at that. But we are covering someone that we have not covered before, obviously, but we have not covered their profession or anyone of their profession before. So I was naturally really excited about that. I also find this person to be an enigma. 
Hmm. I genuinely still don't know how I feel about this person after doing research on them and after listening to interviews and whatnot. So just keep that in your mind. Maybe you'll sway me throughout the story as a non-biased person. But yeah, I'm really excited because I really enjoy food. Um, I really enjoy cheese specifically. <laughs> cheese and wine. Okay. But we are covering our first chef, Kate. We are covering <gasps> someone that owns 35 restaurants around the world. Someone wow. who's opening their very own cooking school this year. Someone who's written 26 books. Someone who contributes to food and drink columns in all different publications. Someone who has hosted countless TV shows. He even has video games after him. He's arguably one of the most recognizable, well-known, and decorated chefs that is known equally for his food as he is his use of profanity. Yes, yes, Kate. Today we are covering Gordon Ramsay. Oh boy. Oh, nice. Yes. I wanted to cover a chef too. The closest I got was Martha. Who yes. I mean, she's still con- kind of considered a chef. Maybe she totally not is. so much, but I think she is. I, it's intriguing to me that you are kind of on the fence with him because I, in my mind, I have a very positive view of Gordon Ramsay, mm. but who knows what you're about to tell me right now. Yeah, I will say this whole episode made me very hungry. So I apologize if you're listening to this. <laughs> I highly recommend grabbing a snack if you're going to listen to this episode. Well, you know me, I've got my goldfish crackers, so I'm good to go. Yeah, I found that I was like snacking the entire time I was doing research just because why wouldn't you do that when you're researching mm-hmm. a chef? So It's called research. Thank you. Exactly. So as with anyone that we cover, there's a lot, I think even more so than others, there's just a lot of speculation around Gordon. Lots of things that have not been proven about him. So this is all just our opinion and based on our research that we've found. If you have stories about him, we'd love to hear them. But just wanted to point that out because a lot of stuff is unfounded, but still important to talk Hmm. about. So we will be using the word allegedly a lot in this episode. (laughs) Oh, boy. Here for it. Yeah. So without further ado, Gordon Ramsay was born in Scotland on November 8th in 1966. Lots of people don't know that he's a Scottish man. He uh... <laughs> Did you see my face when you said that? I, <laughs> yeah. What? Wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah. He did move to England at the age of five, so he kind of identifies as both Scottish and English, but he was born in Scotland. Hmm. At the age of seven, he attended his very first soccer or football, if you're in a different country, not with his <laughs> uncle. He said, I was seven and I went on his shoulders. The crowd was just phenomenal. We were standing by the terraces and I remember getting slightly nervous and very scared because you just swayed then. You just moved in sway formation. I think it was against hearts and it was dirty. I mean, very dirty. And the Rangers won one nothing or one nil, as they would say. Those games are always going to be dirty for the next century because it's just an all blood tie. And I absolutely loved it. So he was really captivated with soccer from a very young age which was good because he ended up living in 17 houses before the age of 16 with his family. Whoa. Yeah. He had a very volatile father who was kind of the cause behind this. So he said to CNN one time, dad would often have a fallout with someone at work and get fired. And because our home often came with his job, we would become homeless and have to move again. And his siblings, when talking about this in interviews and whatnot, 
recalled that they would sometimes be awoken in the middle of the night to move. So just really, really restless and all because of his dad not being able to hold a job, but it got worse. His name is also Gordon. He battled alcoholism, very, very severe alcoholism, and he was really, really violent towards Gordon's mom. And Gordon recalled she often feared for her life every time he got violent. Any present that my brother, sisters, or I had given to mom would be smashed simply because he knew it belonged to her. There were instances when the police were called to take him away and mom was taken to the hospital while we kids were taken to a children's home. And the kids would overhear the abuse happening a lot. So it was just, it was not a great situation at all. That gives me the heebie-jeebies, knowing how his public persona is. And I know. You know he's kind of banked off that, but in a good way, but had no idea that it kind of comes from a very violent childhood. I know. That was a little bit of a shock to me. Do you know what his father did for work? It doesn't really go into detail. It sounds to me like it was working class. Hmm. So he had three siblings. So whatever he could do to support the family, but then he would inevitably mess it up in just a short while. So very volatile, very, very hard on Gordon, I think. But as I previously mentioned, lucky for him, he fell in love with soccer very early on and continued to make this a priority for him. And he actually joined a professional soccer team at the age of 15. It was the Glasgow Rangers. And something that's interesting that I don't think necessarily people realize about him, but he's 6'2 and has a size 15 shoe. So for soccer, like that is, those are perfect stats, right? When you think about an athlete. Yeah. Uh So at age 16, he was playing professional soccer and he moved out of the family home and worked as a pot washer with his sister. They worked at a local Indian restaurant. She was a waitress there. They were just trying to support themselves and get out of the bad situation that they were from. But unfortunately, a few years later, he suffered a career-ending knee injury in soccer. And he worked his way back physically, uh, thought that he was going to make somewhat of a comeback, but he was eventually cut from the team. And he said he was, quote, f***ing gutted. And Mm. he said the worst part of all was going to tell his dad, who had taken him to this retryout, and he was parked out front in the family van. And he said that was the worst part of all, was having to break the news to his dad that the dream was over. Because he really thought that he was going to be a professional soccer player, and he clearly had the talent to be on a professional team at age 15, but it kind of all came crashing down. So, Well, I know you have a lot more coming for me, but do you feel like that sort of drive and energy is just instilled in him, like that he was able to carry that into other endeavors? A hundred percent. Wow. Yeah. Sports teach you a lot, in my opinion. And getting hurt in sports teaches you a lot, so I Mm. think it gives him some level of resilience that we'll see throughout. So with that, because his dream was unfortunately dead, as he described it, yikes! he returned to school because he never finished school. He just was playing soccer and ended up taking his first catering course. So he earned a degree in hotel management and went to catering college. And then from there worked as a range chef at the Roxton House Hotel Now, here, he ran the kitchen, but allegedly he had a sexual relationship with the owner's wife. So, not much other uh, info that I could find on that, but, you know, probably not the best thing to do at your first real chef job. Just a thought. I don't know. So, with that, he had to leave this position. And he left for London, where he worked for his first mentor, Marco Pierre White, at Harvey's, which is a very famous establishment. Now, 
when we're counting Marco, <laughs> I think he gets a lot of his flair from Marco, and we'll see that kind of develop. <laughs> but he said Marco would put on, quote, Hollywood-level performances in the kitchen because he would just go absolutely over the smallest <laughs> things. So Gordon said that that was really defining for him. He said the thicker your skin, the higher you go. And he learned a lot uh, of that from Marco specifically when he was first starting out, which I found pretty wow. interesting. So wanting to expand his horizons further, get out of England, he went to France to train even further as a chef. And he became fluent in French, which gained him a promotion while working with Guy Savoy, who's a very famous chef. Whoa, yeah. Yeah. So he said this was a breakthrough moment for him because once he got the promotion, he didn't have to work side jobs anymore to pay for his rent and pay for all the things he actually needed to live. And he could actually explore Parisian cuisine and learn and go to restaurants himself. So he credits that promotion with kind of elevating his palate and letting him explore. And he said, I would go knocking on the doors for menus for a menu collection. I have over 3,500 menus now. I just love reading through them. They're all filed A to Z in a filing drawer at home. It's like a big pull-out console at the end of the bed. It's always close to me. Always. Hmm. I just thought that was super cool. Like, imagine pulling that much inspiration from just walking around a city. And I can, for a chef, they're so creative and they're so, like inspired by their surroundings that makes sense oh so that he was going to different restaurants and saving the, the menus from all the different oh okay oh that's yeah. so cool yeah yeah i love it he also said around this time with the different mentors that he had obviously chefs are known to be very fiery <laughs> so <laughs> oh, what gordon oh. said if you want to make it in the kitchen you have to be tough emotionally and physically when i was training i was lucky to go and work with joel robichon robichon i think that's how you say it Sounds and guys right. in france and i had it kicked out of me there it was incredibly tough but it took me to another level it taught me true passion for my craft and made me learn each area of the kitchen until i could do it with my eyes closed i had to prove myself 10 times more than any of the french boys but it made me a better chef in the long run so i like that because it just you know you mentioned his athletic career having something to do with it and he straight up says it's really really grind like emotionally mm -hmm. and physically mm -hmm. it is a grind that takes me back to our conversations that we've had before about creativity versus artistry and that yes. definitely still applies to chefs and to food and culinary arts because you can have an an eye I guess it wouldn't be an eye, a tongue for <laughs> for cooking, but you still have to learn the technical aspects of it. And yes. it sounds like that kind of boot camp style, you are thrown into it. That teaches you, force, it kind of forces you to teach yourself all of the ins and outs and how to do things with your eyes closed. That's important. Well said. Yeah, that's so true. And isn't there a certain visual aspect to cooking oh, yeah. and being a chef the like presentation it's all about the presentation oh but you gotta get the about swirls that. you gotta get the dollops on the side <laughs> gotta do the little like i can't even think of what it's called you know like the finish on top drizzle like, little yeah the drizzle there little you go zhuzh on top yeah <laughs> we're clearly professional chefs um <laughs> we'll put out a cooking book very soon don't worry a little zhuzh on top yeah but it is it's so much of like a it it involves all of your senses yes right you know totally i think that's why cool. i like food so much especially because if you have 
a dish, you'll remember it. And like, if it's a mm-hmm. really, really good dish, it'll take you back if you're thinking of it to that exact time and place and all that. Yes, cool. we're, we're definitely going off the rails. But that also includes uh, the restaurant atmosphere and the service because yes. that creates a whole experience beyond just the food that you're tasting. So agreed. Neat. And I would say just to keep us off the rails. Sure. My favorite restaurant experience ever is in Paris. So I can see how he of drew course. so much inspiration. Do you know which restaurant? gosh i don't even know the name it was a super small little restaurant it was like french mediterranean food and they just kept bringing us dishes that we didn't order and bringing us drinks that we didn't order and were just so lovely to us and the food was so fresh and so amazing Mm. that i will truly never forget it because wow it's like all dark and moody inside. I will truly never forget it, but also I don't know the name of it. <laughs> but also I do the name forget down. The, you'll never forget the experience. See what you're exactly. Saying. Exactly. So he's working with all these mentors that are, you know, making him grind out all this work and he's learning and he got a little stressed out. He didn't have a mental breakdown <laughs> like most of our people did, but he got a little stressed out and was like, you know what? I need to kind of step away from this strict kitchen vibe. I need to go do something else for a little bit so I can maintain my passion. So he decided that he was going to go work on a private yacht based in Bermuda as the private yacht chef, which oh. If you watch Below Deck, that ain't easy. <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> no sous chefs in sight. So, okay. No. But he was able to travel to Italy and learn Italian cuisine through this experience. So pretty profound for him. And also, like, working on a yacht sounds pretty nice sometimes. Just get to travel around, do all the things. So. Yes and no. Like you said, right. if you've watched Below Deck, you know it's not as glamorous, but you do get to travel. Yeah. Exactly. You get some days really off. Nice views. And for him, sure. he learned Italian cuisine. So, you know, it is what it is. Mm. So that was throughout the early 90s. And by 1993, he's like, all right, I'm going back to London. I'm going to give it a go at this uh, head chef thing. And he got his first job as a head chef and was only 27 years old. And it was at Aubergine in London, which is a very famous restaurant. And it was offered to him by his very first mentor, Marco Pierre White. So came full circle with Marco was worth putting up with his shenanigans in the kitchen, gave him his first head chef job. Now, by 1995, he had taken the restaurant to new heights. So by that point, he had gotten it to a two-star rating from Michelin. He also was awarded Newcomer of the Year by the Katie Awards, which are basically the Oscars of the restaurant business. So he's just making waves right off the bat as a head chef. Now, this continues, and then in 1996, he makes his appearance on television. He appeared as a judge on MasterChef, so it wasn't a big role, it wasn't a hosting gig, but he did make his first appearance, and he also got married to his wife, Tana, who he is still married to, and they would go on to have five kids together, three girls and two boys. (laughs) What? I didn't know he had that many kids. Yeah. Wow. He often thinks about or talks out loud about the differences between him and his dad. And it's like very important to him to talk about that. So he said Mm. one time, I have young children of my own and I could never see myself behaving the way my father did when I was a child. I want to be a role model for my children and have them look up to me. So it clearly kind of stuck with him. How could it not (laughs) when you Mm -hmm. experience that? But yeah, we'll talk about his kids more as we go on. 
That year, his dad also passed away shortly after he got married to Tana. And despite that, they never really reconciled. They did not have a good relationship, but he still is super close with his mom and credits her with his success. So he is one parent that he's still in touch with. Now, in 1998, Albergine's funding became pretty unstable, and the owners, the restaurant group that owned it, wanted to turn it into a chain, and Gordon was like, nope, that's, that takes away all of the fun part of it, and like all of the allure, all of the, you know, that's what people go to the restaurant for, they don't go to chains. So he leaves, announces that he's going to leave to pursue his own dreams, and Albergine sues him for breach of contract and loss of revenue. Oh, no. And the case was eventually settled in court, so Gordon was then able to open his own restaurant called Restaurant Gordon Ramsay. So original. <laughs> <laughs> we, we get like caught up on names, I feel like, Jess, but that is, we do. The, come on, really? I know, I know. Well, from Aubergine to that? I know. So he did cite this moment, though, as the most important day of his entire cooking career and the most important decision of his life, the decision to leave Aubergine and start out on his own. And Mm -hmm. Restaurant Gordon Ramsay was created to be a high-end foodie destination, and it went on to earn three Michelin stars, which made him the first Scottish man to earn three Michelin stars. Didn't know that, but for those playing at home... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Bingo! Yeah, so, that, that's pretty astonishing. What yeah, a, what a win for the Scots! What a win for the Scots, indeed. Didn't work out on the football <laughs> side, so <laughs> or the rugby side. <laughs> Ouch! So when he was talking about being a chef and owning a restaurant, he said. When I get angry, I'm just being honest. I don't think it's ever going to be any different. Like any good chef, I want everything to be perfect. The kitchen is a highly pressurized and heated environment, and sometimes it just comes out. When you're in the middle of service, it's like four or five hours of being in a pressure cooker. When you're trying to get a full restaurant served with the quality of food they expect, the smallest issue can throw your whole system into a spin. The customers don't need to know about what it takes to ensure they have a great experience. So you just get on with it, and the pressure builds and builds and builds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, have you ever watched Chef's Table on Netflix? Yes. Yeah. It makes me think of that because it, it shows a lot of the behind the scenes and how intense it is, especially there's a, a lot of the sous chefs are there trying to learn and become head chefs themselves, but they go through the ringer and it's, oof, s- the stakes are high. Pressure oh, yeah. is high. No mistakes are allowed. It is wild. Such a good point. And I think I wanted to put this quote in here because it really struck a chord with me being that it's the only, I don't know if you want to call it artistic adventure or creative endeavor, but it's the only one that you have other people depending on you in the way that you do as a chef. If you're a musician and you're going out on stage, of course you have the audience waiting for you and you need to perform. But food is so personal that Mm -hmm. it's the only one that like you can make or break an individual's day a family's day it's i don't know there's just this different aspect of it that makes it so much pressure they're consuming it in a much more tactile way i mean like we said it it involves all the senses versus just like yeah a concert where you're listening to the music and it's usually the songs that you already know and love and exactly they're both important but in very different ways so good point yeah Also, he said that the key identifier for a successful restaurant, because 
you know, obviously people talk to him about owning his first restaurant and all that good stuff. He said a key identifier is if it's full on a Monday through Wednesday. He said that because rent and labor costs are the hidden costs people don't realize, but are the two key factors for success, that is why he says that's the key identifier if your restaurant is full, because if it's not full, you're not maximizing your rent and so on. Makes total sense. Total business mind there. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly he cracked the code because following the success of restaurant Gordon Ramsay, he quickly opened more restaurants and grew his restaurant empire from there. So somehow, some way, he cracked the code. It wasn't the name, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make a new podcast just where we review names of things and put on them <laughs> because we love doing it. <laughs> yeah, people are definitely going to want to listen to that. <laughs> Coming soon. That goes no against streaming. our core values of design pickle of being friendly. But still, come up with better names, people. Take a take a note from uh, our good friend Carrie Fisher, who has Ugh. is excellent at coming up with names and titles of things. Exactly. Just be more like Carrie in general, also. Mm-hmm. So, in 1999, he makes his first official TV appearance in Boiling Point, which was a documentary, and it followed his working life as he opened his first restaurant. So, that was, like, his first feature about Gordon Ramsay on TV. And he was also named Chef of the Year by the Katie Awards at this time. So, again, if you're playing at home, he now has Newcomer of the Year and Chef of the Year by the Oscars of the restaurant business. So, he's kind of killing it. He's like not even 30 at this point, or maybe 30. Barely 30. Yeah. Wow. Pretty impressive. Now, by 2004, because of the success of Boiling Point, he was tapped to host two more shows, British Hell's Kitchen and Mm -hmm. Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares. So (laughs) they started in the UK, and because they were so successful, the US was like, yep, we Mm. need, we need them. So, (laughs) in 2005, he moved to the U.S. to host the American version of Hell's Kitchen, which is arguably what he's most famous for, I think, at this point. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of you that don't know, the concept of the show is aspiring restauranteurs under his intense eye, and they narrow down the field to one winner, and he's yelling at them, and it's very intense. And this is kind of where he solidified his persona as the abrasive, intense chef, Became known for his bluntness, his fiery temper, his strict demeanor, his swearing nonstop, I think is what people really know him for. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people say that this wasn't just a persona on television. There are rumors that he had several incidents in the kitchen along the way. In fact, one time a pastry chef called the police on him. We don't know why or what happened. What? seems like the issue was squashed pretty quickly, but they were so scared of what was happening that they did call the police on him. <laughs> so. I went into this fully 100% thinking that that was mostly just a persona. I mean, we know that things are very uh, high stress and very, I don't know, they get crazy in the kitchen. So it's like, yeah, sure, he curses, he yells, but he's playing it up for the cameras. Yeah. But um, to have someone call the cops because yeah. of it? I wish we had more to that story, too, but it was just one sighting of several of, like, rumors that are, again, unfounded, but if 
there's smoke, there's fire sometimes, I think. (laughs) What's that word we love to use? Oh, yes. Allegedly. Allegedly. So he did say that, you know, when asked, he's often asked about, well, how do you do TV and how do you manage your restaurants at the same time? And around this time, he said, I might look somewhat fierce and somewhat scary, but I'm a bloody good teacher. And he credits that for his restaurants continuing to be successful, even as he was becoming super popular as a TV host, which I think is interesting. And people still cite him as a really good teacher. So eh, good with the bad, maybe. He also said, I'm not going to fool anyone by saying Hell's Kitchen isn't entertaining, but I hope it offers more than that. Even if I get just 10 people off their couches and into the kitchen after watching the show, that's better than no one at all. So it Hmm. seems like he really, he wants people to cook and he wants people to be excited about cooking. So take that for whatever you will. Sure. He also, when asked about the difference between Americans and Brits with food, especially after this American version of Hell's Kitchen launched, he said, Americans are far more vocal. In the UK, if guests don't have a good meal, they often won't complain, but you can guarantee you won't see them again. Americans are far more likely to voice their complaints. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. That pretty much sums it up, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So Hell's Kitchen is killing it in the US. Around this time, he also launches yet another series in the UK called The F Word, And this is like a guest cook competition. It's kind of a variety show, but for cooking. So they would do recurring features. They would do different exposés. It was very deep. Hmm. And there was a really popular episode when he cooked at a prison. And he was so impressed with one of the prisoners and how they were cooking that he ended up hiring that person upon their release from prison. And just said he was so amazed by his natural ability that he had to have him on his team. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. With that, let's take a quick break. Hey Jess, why do gherkins giggle when you touch them? I don't know. Why do they? It's because they're picklish. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, that joke might be the worst, but you know what's not the worst? Design pickle. That's right. Design Pickle is the world's leading flat rate creative services platform. And there are so many features that I love, but to name a few, unlimited requests, unlimited revisions, Adobe source files, unlimited brand profiles. I truly could go on forever about these, but those are some of my favorites. And top of all those features, Design Pickle offers a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, meaning you can sign up, try it for 30 days, see if it's a good fit for you and your business, or get a full refund. No hard feelings. And to make it even better, better because it wasn't good enough your listener of this podcast use promo code worst at checkout to get a hundred dollars off your first month of any plan that's right one hundred dollars off your first month with any plan using code worst w-o-r-s-t all caps at checkout pretty sweet deal ayo so obviously our dear friend Gordon is everywhere at this point. He's on TV, he's in the US, he's in the UK, he has his restaurants. And because he's achieving so many things, he is named Officer of the Order of the British Empire or OBE in 2006. Oh my. So that's if a you ever see name. if you like Google someone and you see OBE before their name, that's what that means. Order of the British Empire. It's awarded Whoa. by the Queen. Is that like being knighted? Like the next step to being knighted? Kind of, yeah. It's like a very prestigious... It's kind of like... I don't want to compare it to the Medal of Freedom, but 
It's very mm. prestigious, like the Medal of Freedom is. Wow. So, yeah, he's killing it. The queen likes him. Always good to be friends with the queen. Not bad. Now, he's still shooting the show The F Word, and they did this whole thing on where food comes from because he feels it's very important for people to realize that your food doesn't just appear on your plate. And so he got pigs for his house, but told his kids over and over again, like, you can't get attached to it. You just need to understand that this is the process and, like, this is how it works, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But he ended up getting attached to them. No way. <laughs> and so it was really emotional for him. He said, it's enough to make anyone turn f***ing vegetarian, for God's sake. And I've always sort of knocked vegetarians and vegans for missing out on the most amazing flavor you can get from meat. But you can see why so many people change instantly. Uh, that's not where I was expecting you to go with this. <laughs> I did not expect it either. I was really surprised about that. But, you know, it does show he has a heart. He's not just uh-huh. a soulless beast that he's kind of, uh, you know, perceived to be yeah. sometimes. And I also think for him, it was a little bit of a game changer because he's notoriously outspoken against veganism and vegetarianism. <laughs> like he openly makes fun of vegans and vegetarians. But to admit that out loud and say it's enough to make anyone turn vegetarian I think, you know, mm-hmm. growth. Hey, man, growth. is that all a part of life is just trying to understand other people's experiences? You know? Exactly. Good for him. Cool. Exactly. So by 2007, super strong ratings for Hell's Kitchen. It's killing it. I think I recall that being like the biggest show at the time. I mean, people were obsessed mm-hmm. with it. So they also decided, they being Fox, that was the network it was on, debuted Kitchen Nightmares in the U.S. as well, which... Again, if you don't know, Kitchen Nightmares, they take over a restaurant for a week with Gordon, and he tries to kind of right the ship because things are really bad at these places. So he's told stories, I mean, just to give you an idea of the type of stuff they deal with. When asked about the worst thing he ever encountered on the show, he said he walked into the refrigeration unit at a restaurant and there was tartar sauce that had expired three years ago and was literally bubbling at the top. (gasps) Oh, boy. Yeah, so just gnarly oh, stuff, mice everywhere, man. mold, all that good stuff. So that's the kind of stuff that they were dealing with on that show. Yikes. But in 2007, after it debuted, he was accused of staging the episodes to make them appear worse than they were. So Martin Hyde was the manager of Manhattan Eatery Dylan's, which was on the show. And he ultimately was fired on an episode by Gordon because Gordon was like, There are rat droppings on the floor. There's rotten hamburger meat in the fridge. You're not equipped to manage this place if this place is going to continue to survive. And Hyde filed a lawsuit saying Gordon staged the happenings in the restaurant to make it look like he was coming in and saving the day. And Gordon was like, I would never, ever dream of setting anything up. I want to sleep at night. (laughs) We were issued a writ because, God bless America, if the toilet paper is not thick enough and you come out with a rash on your ass, you'll get sued. He really has a way with words. He really does. Just very colorful language from Mr. Ramsey. But he didn't even hesitate. He denied this right away. So, again, take it for what you will. Allegedly, he doesn't seem like the kind of person who would make stuff up. But that's also, again, just from a totally outside perspective. I don't know him. But television producers are a whole different ballgame so maybe someone else started up but i don't think it would be him of all people i agree with you i think 
if it was happening, maybe it did happen, but I don't think he had anything to do with it. I don't yeah. think he he's such a colorful person that I feel like he knows he doesn't need to add extra stuff just to make a mm-hmm. show more interesting. Like I feel like that's a little beneath him. But leave the zhuzh on the plate and not in real life. You know what I mean? Totally. Taunting. That's our our new catchphrase. <laughs> so around this time, he also appointed Claire Smith as head chef of his three-star Michelin flagship restaurant, which we talked about. And she was only 29 years old and became his second female head chef. So I just wanted to point that out because he kind of has a history of bringing women chefs with him and like trusting them and promoting them. And they go on to do really big things after they work with him, which again, put it on the pendulum. Are we feeling good about him? Are we feeling bad about him? I don't know, but the swing store is good for me. I'm still waiting for the bad, man. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I'm going to I'm just I'm going to wait till you tell me something real bad. <laughs> yeah. So, a few years later, he debuts a documentary series called Gordon Ramsay on Cocaine, and oh. he did this because he had seen so much drug abuse in the restaurant industry that he wanted to bring light to it. Like, he was just so taken aback at how much it actually affected the industry and how many people were doing drugs as chefs, as servers, all that. Mm -hmm. So he said, I saw cocaine quite early on in my career. I've been served it. I've been given it. I've had my hand shaken and left with little wraps of foil in it. I've been asked to dust cocaine on top of souffles to put it on (laughs) as icing sugar. Coke's everywhere. It's spiraling out of control. Now, part of the reason I think he also decided to do this series is because one of his brothers is a heroin addict who has had significant struggles with drugs over his life, and he's currently imprisoned for drugs. So I think that also fueled his desire to kind of look into this trend of cocaine being everywhere and expose it and bring light to it because it was personally affecting him and his family. Pretty heavy stuff. But on a lighter note, in 2008, he was asked to cook at Nelson Mandela's 90th birthday in London. We don't really have much detail about it. I just thought that was so freaking cool because what That's an honor. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And he I still can't cites believe it. how I feel like it was five minutes ago when you were talking about him just, you know, washing dishes and then he I just kind of skyrocketed to fame. But was doing so much so how is that possible for one person and across in in different countries and continents even i know that's with children so many children without cocaine i mean (laughs) (laughs) so true wow so he also around this time he notoriously hates airplane food and airport food because (laughs) duh doesn't everyone it's the worst i hate it but to fight it he opened a restaurant at heathrow in terminal five to make it a better experience for people so he basically used the restaurant to create picnics that people could bring on board with just really high quality ingredients in there that they could eat and not have to worry about the actual plain food again so smart why didn't i think that love that He also, around this time, he was filming an episode of The F Word in Iceland, and he slipped off the side of a cliff into icy water below. Again, they're in Iceland. But his boots and waterproof equipment were so heavy that he started getting dragged beneath the surface. Mm. So he was super, obviously, anyone in that situation is very scared. 
He said, I thought I was a goner. They say cats have nine lives. I've had 12 already, and I don't know how many more I'll have. I remember thinking, oh, f my boots and my waterproofs were dragging me down, and I'm an extremely good swimmer, but I couldn't get to the surface. I was panicking, and my lungs were filling with water. Oh, my gosh. When I was underwater, all I could think of was Tana and my kids. It wasn't until I was on the plane home I realized what a close call I'd had. So he ultimately was saved by the crew around. They were able to throw him a rope and he was able to pull himself out and get to safety. But that is freaking scary. Yeah. In freezing cold water and you're being dragged down because you're in snow gear. I want to know what his other 12 lives were, though. I know, right? This, this wasn't the first time. What else happened to you, Gordon? Jeez. Get a little bit of a, a rough upbringing, so I'm guessing... 10 of the 12 mm. probably came from that time period, if I had to guess. Yikes. That's terrifying. Yeah. So he also was causing a ruckus in Australia at this time because Kitchen Nightmares was airing over there. And unlike in the US, they don't bleep swear words. So <laughs> an episode. I didn't of know that. Yeah, <sighs> I didn't either until I read this. Oh, Maybe they do cool. now. But an episode of Kitchen Nightmares airs, and he used the F word over 80 times in the episode. That's a lot. <laughs> Even just in your quotes that you said from him. It, okay, first off, you and I curse a lot. We try to tone it down a little bit in the podcast, and we do bleep it out. But some of the quotes that you've mentioned, I feel like he inserts it in places where it's like, doesn't even need to be. <laughs> so Agreed. it's just like... It's like he, using the word the or like, you know, you just put yes. it in there out of habit at this point. It's part of his vocabulary, and it seems like it'll never go away. So because of this episode, their overarching body for like the regulation of television got numerous viewer complaints to the point that senators in Australia, like legislators, got involved and called for more stringent regulations. <laughs> because oh. of <laughs> Is this another creative we're covering that has a law named after them? Well, I'm kicking myself because I actually didn't look up if it actually passed as a law, but how funny would it be if we looked it up and they actually bleep swear words now because of Gordon? Because of Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> if you do know this already, please let us know at podcastdesignpickle.com. But if you're going to hire Gordon Ramsay to do a show, wouldn't you know that that's kind of his uh, shtick to begin with? Yeah, like they bought the rights to distribute it there. And you know what that entails. So I don't really, <laughs> I don't have much sympathy. And neither did Gordon. He didn't care, per the usual. He said, if you don't like it, change the channel. He said, Fuck really? you. <laughs> Quite simple, if you think about it. <laughs> change the channel. <laughs> I mean, great. yeah. So huh. to make matters a little bit worse, not that he cares at this moment, but... He's accused of having an affair by a self-described professional mistress named Sarah Simons. She came out around this time and claimed a seven-year affair, claimed to be his confidant, his soulmate, described him as an adrenaline junkie and someone who lives on the edge. And yet again, Gordon completely denied it. He even joked about it on one of his shows. And in an interview with Men's Journal, he stated that he was completely innocent and graphically explained why he would never cheat on his wife. He said, she's a nut crusher. If I ever fucked up, she'd have my balls in a vase and turn them into a f***ing crepe thinner than the frillest knickers Paris Hilton's ever worn. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon, 
Yeah. Gordon Ramsay has a way with words. That is poetic. So poetic. <laughs> and I mean, listen, not the first time that we've seen a celebrity deny an affair, but oftentimes they just won't say anything if they're guilty mm-hmm. to deny it with that language and that visual that he's describing i mean eh. i i don't know i'm still waiting for you to say something really bad but that also makes me sad just because there are so many celebrities and just like public figures who do shady stuff indeed mm-hmm. and kind of takes away the credibility if you are accusing people of something that they didn't do but we don't Agreed. know it's not like he did anything like illegal, but other than just, you know, allegedly cheating on, on your wife or having an affair. But it sounds like this wasn't even true. It sounds like I'm this just, lady. I'm just thinking out loud right yeah. now. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like this lady might have just been a little cuckoo or maybe she was a super fan. But again, we don't know. Um, no idea. But in 2009, I really don't like this story. Oh, no, you're going to ruin it all for me. Uh, I think this is Let's what, hear it. This is what made me more of like the which way is the pendulum swinging versus like, mm. I love him. He came under fire for comments he made about an Australian TV personality. He keeps getting in trouble with Australia. Like, <laughs> What's going on there? On. Her name was is Tracy Grimshaw and he was in front of a crowd of 3,000 people and showed them a photo of a nude woman with a pig's face and compared it to Tracy while he was on stage and he pissed so many people off with this like no one knows why he attacked her like that the prime minister of Australia even came out and was like why would you say that his own mother criticized him for this so He attempted to apologize and called himself a petulant teenager, but Grimshaw said, Truly I wonder how many people would laugh if they were effectively described as an old, ugly pig. How is that funny, exactly? And worse, it's not even witty. I spent all yesterday thinking about how to respond, and I honestly thought about saying nothing at all. But we all know bullies thrive when no one takes them on, and I'm not going to sit meekly and let some arrogant narcissist bully me. I didn't love that because it seems like he was attacking her appearance a little bit. And for what? Wait, I don't really understand the context of it. She's another chef in Australia? She's she's just a TV personality. And he was doing an event there in front of people and just like showed this image and was like, it's Tracy Grimshaw. Uh, So. Yeah, don't love that. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. I mean, he did try to apologize, but also that's after the Prime Minister and your mother are both calling you out for... I don't think it was the Prime Minister. I think it was just his mom who was the most. And to me, like, I read that and I was like, you have daughters. And, like, <sighs> you're you're shaming a woman in public. What kind of example? And, and as a wife, like, you see... Oh, I don't know. It just made me feel a little icky. A little icky. A little bit. A little bit. So he's not having a good run because (laughs) right after this, he comes under fire for a frozen food scandal. (gasps) Oh, no. So I didn't know. I actually learned a little bit about the restaurant industry with this. But basically, it came out that food supplied by a kitchen facility that he owned. So he still owned it 
was being served as previously frozen food to customers at some of his gastro pubs and marked up like 500% to people that thought they were ordering fresh food. Hmm. Now, Gordon, yet again, <laughs> as we see, he brushed it off and just said that's standard practice to maintain consistency and control the quality for the gastro pubs because they don't have the same capabilities as my kitchen facility to put this food out. But others were not convinced and they were like, why you're, you know, this famous chef, you're all about quality. Why would you be freezing food? And a food editor said, this is just another example of an ever increasing discrepancy between what Gordon Ramsay says and what Gordon Ramsay does. I think he's going to lose the trust of his adoring public. Ooh, harsh. I feel very conflicted right now, though, Jess, because I know it is wildly unrealistic to go to a restaurant that where nothing has ever been frozen it doesn't matter how high yep. level it is uh-huh. uh, agreed and, and it's okay to freeze food okay this is our opinion this is uh, everything on on the, this podcast is our opinion but it's okay to freeze food if it's not like you're uh i don't know that's how you I, ship things like f- food gets shipped frozen so yeah I didn't necessarily get the outrage about this and to see his response, like he was so like, every restaurant does this. Like, I don't know why yeah. you're coming after me because every restaurant does this. They do. Especially, he, but it, he's such a big figure at this point and he's had like his main restaurants, Michelin star restaurants. But when you scale that big and you have like gastro pubs that maybe just, you know, are attached to your name. Uh, they're not going to make every single thing. It's not going to be a uh, farm to table at a gastro pub for <laughs> yeah. your meatballs. I'm sorry. Chicken tenders. If anything, when I read this, I was like, I legitimately believe him when he says it's to maintain the quality. Like they're mm-hmm. making it at the kitchen facility, not under pressure and shipping it in a really safe way to the gastro pub so that the customers can get good food there. <laughs> I don't know. It just makes me think with uh, so many of the people we cover on the show and they get so big that people are like bound to turn on them for whatever reason. Yes. But you can't, when your name is that big and you're in so many places, some people are always going to find things to fault you on. It's like, that's, a why him? Why are they going after him? Like, right. Whatever. I'm very fired up about this now. Yeah. Still don't like the, the pig photo, but still. Yeah, me either. But yeah, I didn't really find that to be crazy. So if you have a different opinion, I would love to know because Kate and I need some help on this one. (laughs) (laughs) So in the early 2010s, he becomes the MasterChef lead judge. He also has the show Hotel Hell. (laughs) He also is doing MasterChef Junior. And all of these cooking shows are on Fox in the U.S., and they were bringing in, at this point, $150 million in ad revenue for the network. Another time where I would whistle if I knew how to. Me too. Crazy. Insert whistle sound here. But MasterChef Junior kind of swayed some people's opinions about him because it brought out a different demeanor and a different side to him. He said himself, it's quite a fascinating dynamic, and he felt like standing there next to kids that are 8, 9, 10 years old, he really empathized with them because he's been there, and he was imagining what it would have felt like if he was cooking at 8, 9, 10 years old in front of people on camera and all that stuff. So it brought out a little bit of a softer side of Gordon. I mean, have you seen that clip of him with that little girl who's like crying over the meal that she messed up on? And 
it's very heartwarming. I have not. I have not, but now I need <gasps> to look it up. said it to you, but he goes to comfort her and is just saying, like, it's okay. I don't know. It, it's really yeah. sweet because she's so distraught over, I think she put too much salt in it or something. Oh. And he's like, grabs her by the shoulders and is like, you're amazing. You've got this. And it's gives you all the feels. It's very cute. I mean, I love the like Top Chef Junior, Master Chef Junior. I think it's so cute when kids are such good cooks I because know. it's such an adult activity to me. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's very cute. Anyways. So also in the early 2010s, he's inducted into the Culinary Hall of Fame. So, I mean, what other awards can you win at this point? He's already a freaking, basically a knight by the queen. And now he's in the Culinary Hall of Fame. And when he won this, he said, I'm constantly being asked, are you a celebrity first now rather than a chef? The answer is, and always will be, no, I haven't spent the last 20 years in the kitchen and built up the company to go and sit on a yacht in the south of France. The shows (laughs) have come along and done very well, and I'm proud of them. But at the end of the day, it's the restaurants and the incredible teams running them that take precedence. So we know his priorities still lie with food. Now, someone asked him in an interview about the difference between restaurant critics and TV critics. And he said that basically they're both vile people and they're both cut from the same cloth and they want to be you. He said they're two peas in the same pod. And he once kicked food critic A.A. Gill out of his restaurant. And Gill stated, Ramsey's a wonderful chef, just a really second-rate human being. (laughs) But Gordon, typical fashion, said... The issue that he has with critics is when they make it really personal. They're not Mm. just discussing the food. They attack your character or they attack something about your skill rather than giving constructive criticism about the actual food itself. And that's why he kicked A.A. Gill out of the restaurant. Mm. But to say a second-rate human being, I mean, he's probably fired up for getting kicked out of the restaurant, I would guess. But that's a bold statement. Made me bat my eyes a little bit. Question. <laughs> you're saying that and you're like batting your eyes but like one eye at a time are you okay like, no, i'm having a stroke anyways so he you know he's gone through this stuff he's culinary hall of fame whatever but around this time in 2013 he lost two of his michelin stars at his new york restaurant called the london ironically in new york oh. and michelin reviewers said it was due to issues that they encountered with erratic meals and issues with consistency. And he was devastated by this. It actually, it led to a closure of one of his other restaurants. And he said, I started crying when I lost my stars. It's like losing a girlfriend. You want her back. (laughs) I I can't really relate to that, but (laughs) I know. But he was also named on at this time. So he lost his stars. He's all sad. But he's also named on TV Guide's list of the 60 nastiest villains of all time. Oh, come on. (laughs) Just throwing it on. Piling it all on. 2013 was not a good year for Gordon Ramsay. No, it was not. But in 2014, he goes into his charitable ventures and he establishes the Gordon and Tana Ramsey Foundation, which supports a children's hospital. It's still very much active in the community and doing a lot of work right now. He and Tana are also very active doing work to end violence against women and children due to his experience as a child, which I thought was great. So they're ambassadors for different organizations that speak out against violence and things like that. So 
Pretty cool. In 2016, he appeared on James Corden with his daughter, Matilda, who also goes by Tilly, to do a cook-off. Have you seen this, Kate? (laughs) I think so. Yeah. It's so cute. So she's like a prodigy. And people are saying that already. I mean, she's insanely talented. She's clearly following in his footsteps. She actually has a show of her own as well. And... (laughs) <laughs> I have this, totally I've seen them on TikTok together. That's yes. like my reference point. Yes, <laughs> I think it's so cute. And James Corden during this particular cook-off said, Is your dad as hard on you as he is on TV? And she said, Probably because he's just jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tilly. <laughs> I highly encourage people to look up this interview. It's very cute. And they're trying to make a traditional English breakfast and Gordon goes off the rails and it's, it's very entertaining. Quick side note though, on his kids, he has stated that he won't be leaving a penny to them other than giving them a 25% deposit on the home. So not sure where that comes from. If he wants them to be self-made, if he wants to donate it all to charity, if he's going to put it in a trust and, is just not saying that. I don't really know, but I thought that was interesting. Hmm. So in 2017, his father-in-law, Chris Hutchinson, Tana's dad, is arrested for conspiring to access the Ramsey firm's computer system over 2,000 times. So what? He had a role in the company. So Gordon Ramsey Holdings is like the parent company for the restaurants. He was CEO. Now, several years prior to 2017, he was booted from being CEO because he was doing really shady shit with money to the point that (laughs) Gordon had him followed by a PI, (laughs) private investigator. So excited to tell you this. It wasn't us. It wasn't us. To uncover how complex his role in the company was and what he was actually doing with the money. He ended up uncovering a whole bunch of things, like how much money he borrowed for himself and just really nasty stuff. He also found out that he had been signing properties on Gordon's behalf that Gordon had no idea about, but Gordon didn't win in court to like dispute it because his signature was on them, even though it was forged, but they couldn't prove oh that. My gosh. So the cherry on top was this arrest in 2017. And I guess the dad, Chris Hutchison, teamed up with Tana's brothers, who also worked with the company. And they were all trying to access Gordon's intellectual property rights to try to get a leg up in a legal dispute they had with him at the time. How messed up is that? How awkward was Christmas last year with the family? <laughs> I know! So that is, That's such a bummer when it's like your, your in-laws that get involved. Ooh, yeah, man. Yeah, he was bummed about it, too. He had a couple quotes where he was just like, I... I never he suspected. He was bummed. I imagine he would be pretty bummed. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have his usual colorful language for them. He was just no. sad about it. So, Well, and, and you think about like his childhood growing up, he had issues with his own father. And so that just, oh, that's so brutal. Sucks. Yeah. So in 2018, he got to cook for Vladimir Putin and Tony Blair at an event. <gasps> And he said he was so nervous. He said it was the most nerve-wracking thing he's ever done. The only thing he cared about was that the seasoning was on point. That's all he could think about. And he jokes that it was the first time as a chef he stood between two people he was going to serve food to and shot himself. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that would be the time and place to do it. Right? He also Jeez. said that this specific lunch made him stay away from politics and want to stay out of politics forever because he couldn't stop thinking about what would happen if he got one of them sick. <laughs> he said, again, in typical Gordon fashion, powerful lunch, but couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> Typical. Typical. So I did watch a lot of interviews with him because I I do think his persona is a little bit different on his actual shows versus how he is in interviews. So one of the ones I watched that I wanted to bring up was Spill Your Guts with James Corden. Have you seen this segment that he does? I don't think so. So he does it with several guests. It wasn't just a Gordon special, but basically there's a rotating table of really disgusting different foods. So in this one, it was like bull penis, cow tongues, like just gnarly salmon ice cream. And they either have to answer the question that the other person is asking them or eat the disgusting food that the other person picks for them. So it was really funny because of course, Gordon was trying to like spice things up. He's like, let's pour clam juice on this to make it worse and whatever. Oh my gosh. I'm going to set my uh, goldfish crackers aside. Yeah. So so one of the questions was ranking celebrity chefs. That was what James Corden asked him. And I wanted to bring this up because I thought it was interesting. So he had to rank Wolfgang Puck, Jamie Oliver and Bobby Filet, as he called him. And that's how he ranked them from best to worst. So he ranked Bobby last and he said it's because he's been trying to do a cook-off in Vegas with him for charity, but he claims that Bobby won't sign the contract to do it. So Ooh, sounds like Bobby's scared. It Ooh. sounds like Bobby, even though he has a show called Beat Bobby Flay, is a little bit scared <laughs> to mm. uh, do it with Gordon. But he also has had beef with Jamie Oliver for a really long time. And the two trade public insults all the time. And Jamie, for a while, was the only higher-paid chef out there than Gordon. So I wonder if that has something to do with it. But they are rude to each other. Like, they do not like each other. And I do not think it's a publicity stunt. Oh, that's my question. Yeah, do you think it's just all for the pubs? I think that he genuinely does not like Jamie and vice versa. Whereas Bobby Filet, I feel like that was more (laughs) tongue-in-cheek. I feel Uh, like you're calling him Bobby Filet. Bobby like Flay? Flay. Not like filet fish No, it's not filet fish I'm just okay. saying it wrong. <laughs> okay. I guess that's how I pronounce it, apparently. Thanks Bobby for being that. Bobby Flay. They kind of say it Flay. Flay. On his show. Flay. Flay. There's like a difference yeah. between the F and the L, I feel. Anyways. Filet. Enough of that. Yeah. Enough of that rant. But he also, on this segment, to avoid answering who he doesn't want back at his restaurant celebrity-wise, he was about to answer it. He said, it's an American. And then he was like, I can't do this. And he ended up eating <gasps> bull penis doused in hot sauce to avoid answering that question. Oh, who was it? Who do you think it was? I want to know who it is so bad. But yeah. Bobby Flay? Probably. <laughs> Bobby Flay? Flay? <laughs> Hmm. It was it was Vince McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Good callback there. So yeah. 
as I mentioned, though, he does have fun on talk shows in general. And Jimmy Fallon actually admitted he was really nervous to talk to him because of his persona and how he is on the shows. But they ended up having a really good time. He ended up making Gordon do a swear jar for charity every time he <laughs> dropped an F-bomb on television. He's like, we can't swear here. It's network television. We can't swear. So he had to put a dollar in every time. And then they ended up donating it to charity. And oh, I think Gordon awesome. matched it. So fun and then the last one i wanted to bring up and i know you've seen this but for our listeners if you do not watch the show hot ones in general you need to watch the show hot ones (laughs) we just did a segment for design pickle for our one millionth request of design requests that came in and our ceo russ perry as well as our uh vp of people jim pedicone just did a hot sauce tasting i don't even how would you describe it it wasn't a tasting it, it was wasn't like the tasting. Worst. they were like setting their insides on fire yeah <laughs> uh, felt so, so bad check that out on our youtubes once yes live yes so for hot ones i guess sean evans the host said he was the most requested guest ever leading up to that point. Like people were like, when is Gordon going to be on? When is Gordon going to be on? So he finally appeared and he said his kids wanted him to do it because they said, you have such a huge mouth, put it to use and go handle the hot sauce. (laughs) (laughs) I love that his kids give him so much sass. I know. And of course he couldn't refrain himself from criticizing the way the wings were cooked. He immediately said his first thing out of his mouth in the interview is these are overcooked. Yeah, and then later in the Seems episode, right. he says, "These look like my grandfather's big toe." <laughs> but the reason that this episode went viral and the reason I bring it up is because he struggled with the spice. Mm. You have this world-renowned chef, and he could not handle the spice. I have seen celebrities, actresses, whatever, handle it better than he did as a renowned chef, and he. Brought his own bag of Pepto Bismol. He brought limes to rub on his lips. He brought donuts. He brought pastries. He squirted lemon juice into his mouth. He at one point said, This is not normal. Have you ever killed anyone? Like, he was not doing well at all. So, like oh, I said, no. go watch the episode if you haven't, especially now that you know a little bit more about him. But it is very entertaining and people still bring it up because no one can get over the fact that he could not handle it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a great series it really is now in 2019 forbes reported that gordon will receive 100 million dollars from an investment company to open 100 restaurants by 2024 so he's at 35 ish or so right now 100 restaurants is basically tripling that that's insane he only has three years to do it so get going gordon Let's, let's get on it now Last year in 2020, he came under fire yet again because he had to lay off about 500 people from his restaurants during lockdown. And people were pissed because it's very public that his personal income was $63 million last year leading up into 2020. And everyone was like, you could have just prevented the layoffs. Like, you could have been a good person. And he didn't really rectify the situation, with r- hmm. which rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And eh, there's probably more to the story. but Yeah, I don't have much to say about that because the restaurant industry has been hit so hard in the past year. Because even if you were to pay for all of that, I don't know. I, I don't want to get into it. But, like, you're still not open. So then you just be like paying them which the government was also trying to do i don't know yeah there are a lot of thoughts on that situation we'll we'll leave it at that and y'all should make your own opinions on it that's a better idea let's move on 
So he also in 2020 starts going viral on TikTok. Kate, you mentioned this, but Mm -hmm. my personal favorite, and I think what kind of put him on the map in the world of TikTok is when he roasted the absolute out of the trend where people were using bell peppers to make sandwiches ew what is that instead of bread they're like oh this is keto friendly and get out of here duetted it and was like that's not a fucking sandwich are you kidding me like goes off about it and it's (laughs) hilarious and he still just roasts people and roasts their cooking on tiktok it's fantastic so nice go check it out if you have not seen him But he also uses his TikTok for good, and he recently was in the news because there's this whole thing about farmers and, like, vegans are coming after farmers for choosing that profession, but he spoke out against that and said every chef needs a farmer, thanked them for their work, and said, like, you'll always have a friend in me, basically, and a lot of farmers were really appreciative of that message. With this, though, he is over his hatred for vegetarians and vegans, it seems, because he is offering vegan meals at his restaurants now. So he's oh, wow. he's expanded his horizons. One may say the pig incident could be credited for this. <laughs> the last all thing... due to the pigs. Uh, quick thing pigs. Before, before we move on, though, but when I was in college, my boyfriend at the time and his brother, they had grown up doing like 4-H, which I don't even know what that stands for. Do you? No. no. no I don't know. No. It's, it's like a youth program where you raise animals, but they raised a bunch of pigs, but they were also obsessed with Star Wars. And so they had one pig named Ham Solo, and then there was uh, another one called Pixis Leia. So I shout, shout love out to Marty and Nick and their awesome pig names. Uh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Oh, uh, sorry. One more. Uh, Chew Bacon was another one. So. <laughs> Stop. I'm obsessed. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> Anyways, Chew Bacon. If you have a good pig name, I want to hear, hear it. Please email love us. Pig puns. Now, one thing I'm going to leave you with that I just think is really cool, and I had nowhere else to put this in the episode, is that he never stopped being an athlete after soccer ended for him. Oh. He's a super active athlete. He's competed in over 15 marathons, three ultra marathons, three Whoa. half Ironmans, and two Ironman World Championships. And he also Holy. has his black belt in karate. <laughs> Yeah. I guess you have to work off all the food somehow. Shoot. Hiya. He also said it's because he's seen so many chefs that are unfit and end up passing away from being so unfit that he is like bound and determined to just be fit all the time and never let that happen to him. And he actually eats small meals. Like he'll only have a couple bites of a meal because he grazes throughout the entire day as a chef. So that's his way of kind of like mitigating that risk and Hmm. not getting super overweight but ultra marathons though what ultra marathons and a black belt in karate and ironmans that's why i put two and two together when he said i'm a really good swimmer i was like oh like where'd you learn to swim but he does freaking (laughs) triathlons of course he's a good swimmer that's why he was probably able to save his life when he fell in that water so yeah pretty cool So before we decide if he's the worst or not, I'm going to give some rapid-fire food and drink tips from Gordon, because in every interview that I watched, he was giving some sort of advice, and I feel like some of them, I was like, wow, this is cool to know. I I know this. So 
favorite cocktail is called Wake Up You Donkey, which is from Hell's Kitchen. (laughs) It's tequila, cider, fresh honey, smoked elderflower, and topped with a lime. Sounds delicious to me. That does sound delish. Okay. Uh He also says to stay away from frozen meals because it's so easy to create a simple meal with fresh produce, like a simple stir fry. So if you're feeling inspired to do that, it's always a good option over a frozen meal. The three ingredients he can't live without are Maldon salt, Maldon, Maldon salt, sure, Maldon salt, butter in moderation, and fresh herbs. You can pretty much make anything with those as your core ingredients, he said. The secret to a perfect burger at home is seasoning, lots of seasoning, and letting it rest before you take a bite to keep the juice in. I don't make burgers at home, but I'm sure <laughs> people do. When you're making scrambled eggs, never season them at the beginning because it actually waters down the eggs and will make them not taste as good. So wait till the very end to season. If you're ever wondering what to bring on a plane to eat if you don't have access to his Heathrow restaurant, take a page out of his book and bring a selection of Italian meats, a little glass of red wine, sliced apples with some Parmesan cheese, and maybe some pears. And then he said you'll feel really rich and good to go. (laughs) Okay, I'm here for it. He said the best thing to order at a fast food restaurant is the double double animal style from In and Out. <laughs> eh, yeah, Shout out West know. Coast. Woo-woo. He said when he first had this, he was so impressed by the quality of the double double that he drove back through the drive through and ordered another one immediately after he finished his first because he liked it so much. Double double animal style. Okay. Yep, that's the secret. And then the last tip is the five things everyone should know how to cook. However you want to interpret this is up to you. One, a great burger. Two, a great breakfast. Three, a braising dish. Four, a chicken dish. And five, an amazing cake. Courtesy of Gordon Ramsay. Just wanted to throw that in there because I thought that would be fun to, you know, try to pull some inspiration for cooking from this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could always just make a delicious dish uh, full of molten salt. Yep. Uh, herbs. Mm-hmm. And, and butter. And butter, and that's and it. Only in moderation, though. <laughs> it's very crunchy. So, okay, with that in mind, how do you feel about our friend Gordon Ramsay? Is he I, the worst? You know, I went into this thinking with a positive mindset think you were gonna ruin it all for me but i still i still like him i don't think he's the worst he is super talented and creative another person who's able to take his craft really focus on it but then expand it out to the masses so i think a lot of people have this vision of him because he is kind of this celebrity chef and maybe they're looked on as not being like real chefs but he is a real chef yep. and all this all the stuff like if you watch documentaries about kitchens and restaurants you see how gnarly it gets behind the scenes so that's just part of his life and his persona and i think he plays it up for the cameras yes but some of the things you mentioned were a little dicey but i don't know what do you think jess i agree i came into this really liking him like I've never had a problem with him I find him to be very entertaining and Mm -hmm. when you see him interviewed I think he's funny I think he's real didn't love some of the things he said about people and their appearances I didn't even include all of them but I think you get the point with the one Mm -hmm. don't love that from a perspective of him being a mentor and a father 
not to excuse it, but he's also a chef. And I think he probably just says shit and doesn't realize that he's saying it and it looks really bad. But as we've seen with everything else, he's very quick to say, nope, that didn't happen or that's ridiculous or yeah, that is true. And this is why, which I appreciate. And I genuinely think he cares immensely about advancing the vocation of mm-hmm. cooking and being a chef. And I think that's important to have people be inspired by him. So I'm going to say to put a little bow on it, I don't think he's the worst, but I do think he's a complicated person. And that's probably sure. due to his childhood. Yes. And that's interesting, too, because we have covered a lot of people who have had very, very traumatic and rough childhoods. But this just goes to show it doesn't always mean that someone's going to end up, uh, I don't know, being awful. They're not going to always end up being uh, Phil Spector, who I deeply regret us even covering, (laughs) because that's not the spirit of this podcast at all. Can't regret it. But some people are able to take that and transform it into something powerful. And I I don't know. I, I really respect him. I think he's uh, he's done a lot of good, and he's just very outspoken. He's himself. He's authentically himself. So. That is a very good way to describe him. He's very colorful. <laughs> Have you seen the the clip of him? <laughs> I, I don't know what show it's from, but he, uh, he's holding two pieces of bread between someone's head and calling them an idiot sandwich. <laughs> yes, that <Okay>. is iconic. <laughs> I wish I just think of that. Yeah, I really wanted to get more into like what he was like on the shows and used some examples but then i was like people can go youtube it like if you're curious to see what persona we're talking about please go youtube him it's much easier to watch and understand versus me trying to explain it so go check those clips out definitely (laughs) watching him on hot ones that is so worth your time check out some of his interviews check out his cooking videos on youtube he actually he makes it really easy for idiots like me to understand what he's talking about hey now don't talk about my friend that way (laughs) but no he tries to make it relatable and so anyone can cook and i appreciate that but yeah let us know what you think if you feel differently about him if you feel like he is the worst or he's absolutely not the worst let us know yeah i'm excited to cover more chefs on the show because they really are we got super into it at the beginning just like it it covers all of your senses there's so much creativity (laughs) that goes into cooking it's true and just to be able to i've always admired this about people when they're able to look at ingredients and then make a meal out of it that is such Mm. a talent and definitely something that not everyone can do like you can be trained and still not be able to do that so i just have a serious appreciation for what they do also because i love food so that's part of it well kate great great job that was wonderful Thank you for sharing. And very uh, hungry now. I really yeah, need to eat some food. Snack, but be sure to give us a follow on the social medias, just at Creatives Are the Worst or at Worst Creatives on Twitter. And it would be great if you could just, you know, like, subscribe, share with your friends. That really helps us out a ton. We appreciate all of you for listening. We promise not to yell at you like Gordon Ramsay would. <laughs> Oh, and I totally forgot to mention this because I'm a dum-dum, but this was a suggestion from a listener doing Ah. Gordon Ramsay. So if you have people that you want us to cover, please let us know at podcast.designpickle.com. I promise we listen to you. I've done, I think, two people from listeners thus far. Many more to come. Can't wait for more. Until then, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. Bye. Cheers. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Creatives Are the Worst. 
If you like what you're hearing, or if you think that we're the worst, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'd love to hear from you. You can also contact us directly at podcasts at designpickle.com. And a big thanks to Design Pickle for sponsoring the show. Join us next week as we once again try to answer the question, are creatives the worst? <laughs>